listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the Mighty Program today, and today is Clean Cuss Day. Today is the day that we clean swear, fake swear. You know you have them. You use them around the workplace, in front of the kids. I have a list of the top fake swear words, and we're going to sprinkle them saltily throughout the program. And in our second half hour, we're going to explain how it is you can let your iPhone swear. Have you tried this? Have you tried to use a cuss word when you're sending a message on the old iPhone and it just auto-corrects it? Why is auto-correct such a prude? We're going to let you swear for realsies with your phone later on in the program. But speaking of prudes, how dead is your bedroom? A new survey about sexless relationships and something called dead bedrooms. Why are we living in dead bedrooms? Details on that. You know, it's enough to make me swear. Let's go to number three on our fake swear word list. Corn nuts! You know what else makes me swear? These math results. Results of standardized tests from the last school year released today by the Education Quality and Accountability Office, EQAO. For grade 3 students, 58% met the standard, which is 5 percentage points lower than 3 years ago. Fewer than half of grade 6 students, 48% met the standard, which is 2 percentage points lower than 3 years ago. The EQAO says research has shown that for students in those grades, their basic math skills are stronger than their ability to apply those skills to a problem. A short time ago... The Minister of Education in this province, Stephen Lecce, held a press conference. Here's what he said. Now, sadly, these results are not surprising. Uh, Over the past 10 years, grade 6 math scores has fallen systematically and consistently. Every year, the scores have either stagnated or fell. And just as a a compelling proof point in 2009, uh, grade 6 math results were at 61%, and today they are hovering around 48%. Judas Priest, those numbers are scary. Judas Priest, number 10 on our list of fake swear words today. Now, discovery math. What is that? This is from kids.net. Discovery math turns traditional math on its head. It frequently begins by introducing a novel problem to students and works its way back to discovering a method of solving the problem. The goal is to ground mathematical procedures and algorithms firmly in their applications and to challenge students to think critically about how they might go about solving the problem right from the beginning. Pardon me. Now, this is from Doug Ford on May 10th of 2018. Quote, Kids used to learn math by doing things like memorizing a multiplication table, and it worked. Instead... Our kids are left with experimental discovering math that hardly teaches math at all. Instead, everyone gets a participation ribbon and our kids are left to fend for themselves. I'm quoting Doug Ford, May 10th, 2018. Son of a monkey! So, Minister of Education, what is up with this discovery math? 
you know, in the context of discovery math, we will be moving away from that method next September. Uh, we are on. We are actively, as you will know, undertaking a dramatic review and overhaul of our math curriculum full, writ large, and that's going to be completed next spring. It'll be announced uh, in and around that period for implementation for September 2020. September 2020. Fraggle Rock, that takes a while. Now, what does this report say about the fundamentals? You heard me mention it a little bit there. There are good fundamentals, good uh, understandings of fundamentals. I want to quote directly from the report here because I think it's important to do so. This is from the summary. There is a persistent gap between students in applied and academic courses. I think that makes sense. Research has suggested that students' attitudes towards math can influence their achievement. It's worth considering what can be done to promote students' positive attitudes towards math. Math is fun! Research has also shown that in grades 3 and 6, Ontario students' basic knowledge of fundamental math skills, this is important here now, their fundamental math skills, their knowledge of those, is stronger than their ability to apply those skills to a problem or think critically to determine an answer. In attempts to promote engagement and achievement, it's worth considering how we can further support students' mathematical problem-solving and critical thinking. Nothing there says, you know what we should do? We should just memorize stuff. We'll start on this crapola tomorrow. So, what is the government actually going to change in the curriculum? The minister, when asked, would not answer, saying, hey, it's premature to do that. You remember September 2020 and all, but does say this. But I think the mission is to improve scores, improve math competencies, and also change the way we teach uh, math in the classroom. I think augmenting the approach will be very telling for, for parents because so far, under the current discovery math uh, um, way of teaching, it is not working for students. And I think the data from 09 suggests that. There is absolute you know, causation. We've introduced a plan to teach math um, that the former government was absolutely committed to implementing. And at the same time, concurrent to the introduction of that approach, we saw math numbers decline. Well, I'll be a son of a gun. Turns out it's the Liberals' fault. That's essentially what he's saying there. So... Is there method in the madness? Is the method the madness? Or is it something else? Let's get some perspective on this. The Math Guru is a boutique math and science tutoring studio, and Vanessa Vacaria is the founder and CEO and joins me on the line. Hello. Wow, what a comprehensive report you just gave. No need for you to guest on the program at all. I've got it all covered. Is that right? Well, I'm here. I'm here because it's clean swearing day, and that is just perfect for me. So. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you about your favorite clean swear in just a moment, but let's okay. begin with discovery math. And is yeah. the problem here discovery math? Is that what you're seeing coming through your door? Well, I think I, I love everything you just did. That was actually such a great, like, everything that's going on for people who don't know what's going on. So, as you said, um, I think that Discovery Math has been our greatest scapegoat. Like, people love blaming Discovery Math, but as you pointed out, the problem isn't Discovery Math. What people need to realize is, it is 2019, okay? So for everyone being like, oh my God, back in the day, I just had to memorize some times tables. 
That's really cool. Except for right now, there are totally different skills needed for for 2019. We need kids with really strong analytical skills. We need innovative problem solvers. We have calculators. Yes, it's important to know basic math 100%, but kids need to be on a kind of different level than they were before. So the Discovery Math curriculum is has a lot of benefits. It's great for kids to know how to apply their knowledge, to understand where formulas come from. But there is definitely a discrepancy, I think, in how that is being carried out in the classroom and how it's it's sort of going from teacher to student to parent. Like that, There's kind of like a bit of a disconnect in all of that. But the curriculum itself, I think it's built on some pretty positive principles. And just before anyone kind of freaks out, 100%, I still believe in basic math. I think we need both. I think we need those numeracy skills that are innate, but we also need deeper problem-solving skills than we needed before. Well, right now, the eggheads are all gathering in a room somewhere, coming up with some new curriculum. You heard the minister talking about Mm -hmm. that. From your perspective, what do you think needs to change in the curriculum specifically? So... I think I just read the the minister's report, okay, and from the ministry, and there are some really great things being implemented. One of the the biggest issues is simply that these poor teachers, okay, like think about teachers who have been in the classroom for decades. They're fed these new curriculums and aren't necessarily taught how to carry those out. So for a teacher who's been in the classroom for 20 years to all of a sudden say, okay, you need to teach math this other way and you need to help kids discover, et cetera, that causes a lot of anxiety and stress in elementary school teachers. We've shown, and I think this is something that I'm shocked isn't being mentioned anywhere in what's been coming out yesterday and today. One of the greatest issues, especially with younger kids, is that there is a huge rise in math anxiety. There's a huge rise in math phobia. And one of the greatest ways that kids kind of latch onto that anxiety is from teachers and adults and parents in their lives. And if you think about it, math has become crazy important, right? Like we're not, we're obsessed with like the EQAO math scores, not the literacy scores, because math has taken on this whole like life of its own. Like if you don't have math and you don't go to university with great math scores, you're not going to get a job. Like there's so much stress around it that I honestly think that has a lot to do with our declining scores. And I don't think we're focused enough on how to address that in classrooms, how to address that with kids and parents, like how to really start removing stereotypes and anxiety away from math so that kids can just learn math. Vanessa Vicaria is the founder and CEO of The Math Guru, which is a boutique math and science tutoring studio. And we have been talking about the latest EQAO results, which are not great. You have a lot of kids come through your door. Give me some of your fake and clean cuss words that you use. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Well, we do joke that we need a swear jar because there are, I will say, there are positive cuss words when kids get things right for the first time. Um, I I don't know any off the top of my head. Come on. Okay, no, no. I will, like, my favorite is... Yeah, go. Shoot, yeah, I guess you... No, but I just love that you use Judas Priest as a cuss word. <laughs> like, that is definitely my new favorite. What is that in replacement of? <laughs> you could you could put that anywhere. Jeremy Roenick is also another great one. Thank you so much. I appreciate you being with us, Vanessa. Thanks so much. You are listening to the Alan Carter Radio Program. It is Clean Cuss Day. Sweet mother of pearl.
Welcome back to the radio program. Today is Clean Cuss Day on the program where we share some of our favorite clean cuss words. In our next segment, I will tell you how to adjust your iPhone to actually let it swear. Have you ever tried to swear or just really let loose with a text and the autocorrect just makes it clean? Well, in light of that, we are sharing some of our very favorite clean cusses. And today, number 20 from our list from the Tennessean shiitake. Shiitake mushrooms. Well, I'll be a son of a gun. I have a quick update from Parks Canada. It's released the first pictures from inside the HMS Terror one of the two ships in the doomed Franklin expedition. Archaeologist Ryan Harris says it's raising many questions about how the terror met its fate. It looks like the ship was in many ways uh, fully operational and then suddenly deserted. All the cabin doors opened as if, almost as if there was a rush to see if there was any on board as, as it sank. We don't know. It, it, it's uh, a bit of speculation at this point. Archaeological query will hopefully uh, shed light on all this. Neither Sir John Franklin nor his 129 crewmen were ever heard from again. Little trace of them was found, despite more than 30 expeditions to find them. That lost expedition set out in 1845 in search of the Northwest Passage. One of the, pro- one of the ships was found in 2014, and the Terror, the vehicle that, <laughs> rather the ship, pardon me, every mariner out there is like, come on, man, vehicle. And the terror was found two years ago using a blend of Inuit oral history and systematic high-tech surveys. Suffering succotash on Clean Cuss Day. If you are an employer in this province, how much of a burden are payroll taxes to growing your business and to hiring more people? Simon Gaudreau is the Senior Director of National, National Research from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business and joins me on the line. Hello. Hi. So what have you found about payroll taxes? Well, we took a closer look at uh, payroll taxes uh, across Canada. Uh, so we did a comparison of uh, how much of an impact payroll taxes had uh, in the different provinces uh, for a, uh, a business that uh, will pay a $50,000 salary. And uh, for Ontario, for example, we found out that uh, in this uh, specific case, on the, this $50,000 salary, the employer will pay, in fact, uh, above uh, $55,000 every year uh, because uh, you, you must add $5,000 in, uh, in payroll taxes. The employee uh, will receive uh, only 46000 because out of the $50,000, uh, the employee will have to pay um, uh, CPP uh, premiums, uh, will have to, uh, to pay W, uh, sorry, uh, will have to pay uh, unemployment insurance uh, premiums. So in the end, uh, the governments in Ontario, federal and provincial, will collect uh, upwards of $8,000 per year in payroll taxes. So it's no wonder that uh, 79% of small business owners uh, in Ontario say that uh, payroll taxes affect their growth uh, the most. 
But if you if you look at how governments fund various things, I mean, nobody likes to pay taxes. But at the end of the day, if you suggest, as you do in your report, offsetting these payroll taxes, where is the revenue coming from elsewhere? Yes, and that's a, that's a good question. Uh, there, first of all, we're not saying, for example, governments should uh, phase out uh, the CPP or uh, the Ontario go- government should phase out uh, workers' uh, compensation, the, the WSIB premiums that only uh, employers pay. Uh, but for sure, they could uh, take a closer look at uh, how they uh, they, they manage uh, these uh, these programs. And there is, on the other side. A, uh, such a thing called the, the provincial payroll tax in Ontario, the employer uh, health tax, which is a pure uh, tax that is not specifically dedicated to fund uh, any program, despite uh, its name. It goes into general revenues. And uh, we uh, think that uh, the Ontario government could uh, actually uh, develop a plan to phase out at least this tax and replace it with uh, with other types of revenues uh, or find efficiencies. Uh, so uh, they reduce uh, the payroll tax burden on employers, uh, and uh, that could actually uh, greatly help uh, the Ontario economy uh, expand uh, because, as I said, 79% of business owners say payroll taxes uh, affect their growth the most. Sama Gogdro is the Senior Director of National Research with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, which is calling for lower payroll taxes. It is Clean Cuss Day on the Alan Crutter Radio Program. Uh, my French is weak. Do you have any clean French cuss words that you would use that you would use in front of kids, or maybe you were just you're just going to throw one down? Well, that's a that's a good question. Nothing that comes to mind uh, at this time. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Simon. I appreciate you being on there. You know, nobody likes paying taxes, so, you know, there's a, there's a cuss word right there for you right there. Holy cow, barnacles, I don't like playing, paying those taxes. Thanks so much for being on the program. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Not everybody likes the fake cussing. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for spending some time with us here on Clean Cuss Day, on the day that we look at all of the cuss words that we like to use that are actually clean and appropriate. You can say them on the radio. You can say them in front of your kids. I have a list of the top 50. This is from the Tennessean. I will tell you that the number one fake swear word, according to this list, Balderdash, which is not my favorite. This one's my favorite. Sweet mother of pearl. I use that one all the time. Mother of pearl. But you know what? Do you have an iPhone? Because it won't let you curse. You know, we all know that the iPhone's keyboard has a hard time accepting the fact that, you know, people like to cuss. How many times have you typed out a swear word and then you just have to have the keyboard change it to ducking or shut without your permission? Huh? That happens. This is from CNET. Over time, your iPhone eventually does give in and will let you talk like a sailor, at least until iOS 13 on the new swipe keyboard. I don't know if you have that. It's almost impossible now to swipe type a curse word, so what's what gives Apple? Here, if you have iOS 13, 
the best way to use as much profanity as you like. Hey, listen, listen. This is from CNET. One, opening the settings app. Two, select general from the list. Next, tap on keyboard. Then you tap text replacement and the plus button. And what you do there, you see, is you enter your word of choice in the phrase field, and then you tap save. And then you can create as many text shortcuts as you want or you need. And then you can swear as much as you like. Oh, ship! That is number 39 on our list of top clean cuss words. What else do I like on here? Number 32, Jumpin' Jehoshaphat. Jumpin' Jehoshaphat, the liberals look like they're going to start wading into your phone and what you pay for your phone in the federal election. That is the latest information that we are getting from a number of sources. Shruti Shakur is a tech reporter for Mobile Syrup and has written about this says that the liberals are expected to make lowering cell phone and internet bills an election province, promise, pardon me, and then I like this one, Trudy, you wrote it here, or maybe even having, they may be looking at a cap on bills, or maybe even having incumbent carriers provide more access to mobile virtual network operators, MVNOS, MVNOs. Am I swearing here, Trudy? <laughs> I don't think so, and definitely... Uh, I ship you not, Alan. <laughs> this is going to be great. This is going to be good news for the election. We're making this happen. This is happening. <laughs> oh, coconuts. Um, <laughs> all right. Tell me what it is, because when you start, when I see things like cap on bills, whoa, that's a lot of red flags right there. Yeah. Um, one thing that we should be very clear right now is that nothing has actually officially been announced. This is according to party sources. So it's still in the works. I, I mean, I really would not be surprised, though, that this will become an election promise or at least a small, you know, one of, not like the highlight, but maybe something up there. You know, they're, they're, the liberals are, are knocking on doors right now um, and they're hearing from a lot of Canadians that their prices for phone bills and for Internet services is just too high. And, you know, you and I have talked about this on so many occasions. This is not unusual. Um, but so because of that, there is actually no full understanding of how the Liberals would be capping on bills and um, how they might be providing more access to MVNOs. Um, so what, 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 what is that, by the way? Uh, MVNOs are basically uh, resellers for wireless communication services. Um, so third-party uh, you know, retailers would be being be able to offer uh, a wireless sort of service for uh, consumers. Consumers. So, this is like the cut rate guys. This is the the third party sellers that would they get access somehow to the network. Like, yeah. I, I got an Apple phone and it goes keeps going ding. I hope I that I hope that didn't throw you off. No, it didn't. It's, Frack. It's, you never do. <laughs> no, no. Um, but you know we should also keep a note uh, keep in mind that for the past um, three four years now that the Liberals have been in power, they have done uh, several initiatives to try to. Uh, encourage competition in Canada to uh, 
try to have more affordability for consumers. Um, you know, they've uh, initiated this policy directive to the CRTC to be like, listen, any decision you make, you have to have affordability and fairness in mind of consumers. Um, you know, they've also initiated a, a a connectivity strategy to be able to have 100% of uh, consumers in Canada be connected to high-speed internet services. So how they're going to be reducing uh, the, the internet prices, I'm not entirely sure. But one thing we can be certain is that uh, some of these carriers have been uh, introducing cheaper mobile phone plans. And we also talked about that. So that's that's something, right? I guess. <laughs> but I, I think you know, in terms of perspective here, as we look at what has begun to become a much more fractured relationship between the major telecoms and the liberals, because the liberals and the CRTC, with all of these new rules coming out, and and the, we've we've seen the industry sort of band together and react negatively, and and to the thought that somehow they might the liberals might introduce more regulation into the marketplace, I mean, that's just got to have the people at, at Bell and TELUS just saying, I mean, gadzooks. <laughs> you are 100% correct. Um, I think the big carriers, Bell, TELUS, Rogers, um, even regional carriers like Videocon, Kojiko, Shaw, they're all pretty, um, I guess, uh, Confusal. Is that a new swear word? Sure. I don't know. I'll, you take that one. I'll take <laughs> they're, it. They're, they're a bit confused, if you may, about how the liberals are making all these rules happen and uh, pushing the CRTC to uh, regulate and, and have more options and affordability uh, for customers. But uh, one thing is also certain is that it's not just the liberals that are coming up with uh, this idea of having this as an election platform. The new Democrat Party has also indicated that they want to reduce cell phone and internet bills as well as the Green Party of Canada. So it's evidence that this is going to be on the horizon on the elections. It's evidence that Bell, Rogers, Tellis, uh, they're starting to see that there's going to be a crackdown. It's going to happen. And I, I, I mean, this shouldn't be a surprise, right? Like we've been in this country, we've had exorbitant prices for so many years. I think it's about time to start seeing some changes. At least that's what consumers want. Sure, it's what consumers want, but it's complete. I mean, it's a red meat issue. It's easy sell at the door, obviously, to come in and say, "Oh, we're going to regulate." I mean, I can come in and say, "Wow, I'm going to regulate the price of gas too." I mean, there are governments that have said that they're going to do that, and blimey, that never works. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. So. You know, it could be an election promise. That's why it's a quote-unquote promise. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's not even a promise. Let's just clarify this here because you mentioned it's party sources. So this could be just, you know, just a trial balloon, just trying to, you know, get us to do exactly what we're doing right now, which is talk about it. Malarkey. Exactly. And so that's why we won't really know exactly the full effect of everything until after the election takes place in October. And we kind of have a sense of where things are going to be and what the priorities are going to be. But I, I mean, I think this has been a long coming issue. Um, the CRTC has been reviewing the wireless market. Uh, there have been cutbacks for uh, the big carriers, and now access to their network has the cost for that has reduced. And so, there's there's definitely some movement taking place. Um, but what's going to happen with the parties and the election and all of these promises? I I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see. Well, I'll be a son of a gun. Shuri Shakur is a tech reporter at Mobile Syrup and has written about this 
trial balloon from the liberals about perhaps wading in with some kind of regulation to cut your cell phone bill. Shruti, always great to have you on the program. You want to swear on your way out? <laughs> uh, I can't I can't shipping think of one. Mm. Oh. But thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Son of a monkey. Great to have you on the program. <laughs> Welcome back to the program. It is Clean Cuss Day on the Alan Carter Radio Program. Son of a monkey. All of the things that we can say, all the cuss words that are actually not cuss words. We're just celebrating those today with the fake swear words. The Tennessean publishing a top 50 fake swear words. Poo on a stick is number eight. Staff at a Toronto Montessori school are now concerned that the Ontario government has not taken into account the safety of young children in daycare centers when establishing rules around the distance that cannabis stores must be from schools. All of this is related to the recent lottery. You may have seen that, where they picked a whole bunch of locations, potential cannabis stores, one of them right in my neighborhood, right there on Kingston Road, Upper Beaches. Although you say Upper Beaches now, that's pretty much new market. But... Parents have been calling into this Montessori school that is right next to where a potential cannabis store will be, and they're concerned. Kids in Montessori. Can I just can we just check the regulations? Can toddlers buy pot legally in this province? What is They can't even go into, they couldn't go to the next store, they couldn't go to the store and buy a gum from the convenience store. Why are we concerned about this? There's a high school up the street. They can't buy it either. You know what else is up the street? A Loblaws. And you know what you can get there? Wine. Oh, you get a little of that Chablis in you. Those toddlers. Great Scott. All right, I want to talk about dead bedrooms. When people are stressed at work, they are more likely not to have sex with their partner. That's a new report out. A recent survey by a U.S.-based medical practice network found that 51% of participants reported something called dead bedrooms. What is a dead bedroom? Artie Patel is a Global News National online journalist and joins me here in the studio. Hey, Artie. Hello. Suffering succotash, it's good to see you. I was trying to think of a non-swear customer. Now shut the front door. Yeah. What is this whole thing about dead bedrooms? So basically a dead bedroom is defined as a sexless relationship. It can be marriage, partners, common law, whatever you want to call it. And it extends for a period of time, anywhere from a few months to five years. Some people in the survey, even 10 years. That is... That's a Sahara Desert dry spell right there is what that is. That is beyond a dead spell. That's a long time. That is long. So, but what do they say the reasons are? So the most common reason was work stress. So people said that if they were too stressed out at work, they did not want to have sex with their partners. This was followed by weight gain. This is 46%. Lack of communication and having children. Ah, having kids. That is a libido killer right there. Let me tell you that 100% 
<laughs> you know, they don't mention that. There's a couple of things that, you know, are, they don't mention just before you have kids. They say all kinds of things like, you know, your life is going to change and you'll never sleep again and all of it. The sort of things that you expect. They don't, A, talk about, you know, forget about, you know, that thing. And then also the guilt level. Guilt, you feel, and then you, and then it becomes a feedback loop. The guilt, the whole jumping Jehoshaphat, peas and rice. What do they say, the experts in this sort of thing that you should do, other than ship your kids off to some kind of, you know, stay away camp? Yeah, so if you can ship your kids off, that's probably number one, <laughs> or just quit your job altogether and just stay home. But I think the other thing is, I think people have this idea in their head that they need to have an ideal amount of sex to make it, you know, a good, quote, good relationship. Oh, wait a second, there's an ideal amount? No, so that's the thing, there's no ideal amount. What? So I don't know who tells us this or where I we mean, get this information. People just think, oh, if I don't have sex once a week, then I must be in a terrible relationship. So that's the first step. once a week? <laughs> So that's the first step. We need to move beyond that. And the second one is you need to talk to your partner. A lot of people in this survey didn't even communicate that they were having, you know, issues with this dead bedroom. Why would you not tell your partner this? Keep it down. <laughs> I mean, I mean, William Shatner, what are you going to say, though? I mean, this is the so the, 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 there's a, obviously a point of communication here where we're not communicating with each other. We're fat. We're overworked. You know, gee willikers, what do you expect? I know. And the thing is, when you're stressed, your partner's probably stressed out too. So just imagine the work, your work stress is now on them. So even if you're not in the mood, that doesn't mean that your partner sort of can just sit around and wait for you. Here is the last quote in your story. Uh, someone who who is saying what you should do is, quote, seek therapy exercise, meditate, sing, play a sport, or find other coping strategies so you don't become reactive with your partner and push them away. What does that mean? So she's specifically talking about stress. So a lot of these people in the survey, if they're blaming work stress, that means when they're going home, they're taking it out on their partners, right? They're complaining about work, they're bad bosses, they're coworkers, and then as a result, they don't want sex. So she's saying instead of doing that, keep sex in the bedroom, keep your sex life active, and do other things to deal with your stress. Go to therapy, exercise, sing if you want, if that helps. I'm sure it helps some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, play a sport. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, cheese and crackers, hopefully that will all work. <laughs> I hope so. All right, Patel, thank you so much. Appreciate you being here. Thank you. All right, you know what? You want to make a meteorologist mad. You ever, I like doing this. You just... Because I, I work with, I work with Anthony Farnell, who's a meteorologist, and you know he's a science guy. And these science guys, they're easy to anger. And what you do, it's simple. You just do a story on farmer's almanac. So here is a global news story. It is about the farmers' farmers' almanac, and I'll quote it to you here. That tired old Game of Thrones reference will have renewed meaning this year as the old farmer's almanac is predicting a particularly snowy season across the country this winter. Quote, this year it's Game of Snows, says Jack Burnett, who is the managing editor of the 2020 Canadian edition of the almanac. Quote, it's going to be very competitive to see which area gets the most snow and most episodes of it. Burnett says winter will be snowier and milder than average across the country. The only exceptions will be southern regions of Alberta and B.C. where the weather will be a little bit more wet than white. Central and western Quebec will also be milder 
than the rest of the country. Of course, it's going to be cold, so that might mean a little more freezing rain. Said Burnett, again, this is the managing editor of the 2020 Canadian edition of the Farmer's Almanac. Barnacles, is it true? Anthony Farnell is a meteorologist. He's got a, a couple of math degrees, I believe. What do you what do you say when you hear this farmer's almanac stuff? Well, you always are curious, Alan, at how they come up with this, and uh, I agree they have come a long way. They used to use uh, the length of horse hair and uh, the woolly uh, caterpillar, the length of the black versus the brown on it. So they've come a long way. They now use a a little bit of science, but uh, they also use something called, and and I learned this when I I started to take some some TV classes and some some ways to to make yourself right, even if, if if you're not right. You just kind of stay wait, wait vague. A minute, wait a minute, and, uh, wait a minute. That is against... your whole job. That is your whole job. Stay vague. <laughs> that, that... Appear to be right while being wrong. That's literally my whole job, and I, I guess I've taken some hints from, from somebody who, who I know as well, David Phillips, who has is made a career, well, he has a very uh, storied career, but he is an expert at just basically saying glass half full, glass half empty, it's going to snow when it's supposed to snow, and it's going to be hot when it's supposed to be hot. So, yeah, there, there is, I guess, some truth, and we, we do agree that, that there is going to be a winter coming up <laughs> so uh, it, it it yeah that's that's kind of where i'm at what, so, so did you put much credence in this that it's, it's going to be a snowier winter or whatever it is that they're saying here well, first of all, it's still August, and that is very difficult. Even our winter predictions come out in October or early November, and that's when we can get a, a grasp on where this pattern is going. Now, I, I do look at computer models that go out three, four, five, even six months in advance, and these have been found, at least in the last few years, to have some sort of accuracy. It sends you in the right direction. And something that we've noticed this summer is a lot of extremes going on over the Arctic. You've maybe heard of some of the fires that have gone on, the Greenland ice sheet melting, uh, a lot of very warm air up over the Arctic, and that is worrisome for sure for many reasons including global warming but it also is a sign that if that holds into the winter when you get this warm air displaced up over the arctic well all the cold that's supposed to be up there also gets displaced down where most of us live and that's something that's called blocking that we're looking for this winter and i do think it will be actually a cold winter the snowy aspect oftentimes is is tougher to predict but uh, cold is something that we're looking at at least around the Great Lakes. I mean, fart knocker, that just sounds awful. It does. It does sound awful. Another thing that uh, we we look at as far as the last few years, the trend has been for a later starting winter, but also it to drag on even into the month of April, uh, and uh, that fathers. kind of annoys a lot of people, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you heard. It's clean cuss day on the radio program. You got any uh, cuss words that you use that are clean and get away with? I know you got a dog. You don't have a kid in your life, so you can just cuss all you like. I just cuss whenever I want. Yeah, no, I uh, clean cuss words. Darn it. Uh, oh, fudge. I, I don't know. What have you been coming <laughs> are, up with? Those are all good. I'm going to give you a, I'm gonna give you a quick list of some of the ones we have not mentioned here. Here are some of your top fake swear words. Zoinks. Merlin's beard. Holy guacamole. I like this one. 
Barbara Streisand. <laughs> uh, uh, I can add uh, like something that it's actually a weather term. Yeah. Frizzle. <laughs> Frizzle. Wait, wait, don't you, isn't it grapple? Isn't there a grapple or a grapple? Oh, grapple's another good one. Oh, yeah, grapple's man. Grapple's this soft hail. Frizzle is freezing drizzle. <laughs> Those are good ones. Oh, man, holy frizzle. We'll start on this crapola tomorrow.